Welcome to the Shaky Experience. My name is James Richard Lane. Today, we'll be speaking volume with Aaron Fenning of Previously Chairlift and Rewards and Keith Karn of We Are Scientists and Communipol. Both guys are established acts within the music scene. Aaron previously founded Chairlift in 2005 and possibly is best known for the band's single, Bruises. Keith has been the drummer of We Are Scientists since 2013, recording the past few albums with the band, including their latest album, Huffy, that came out in October 2021. Both Aaron and Keith have toured across the world, played numerous music festivals, and have performed on late night television shows. So without further ado, Aaron and Keith, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, thanks so much. Yeah. So how are you guys doing in 2022? I mean, it feels like the pandemic is finally maybe ending, possibly. Things are slowly-ish getting back to normal. Bands are kind of touring again, and shows are sort of starting to happen. What's the feelings for you guys right now? Well, uh, thanks so much for having us, first and foremost, James. Um, yeah, things are really strange right now, and I really understand what like epidemiologists mean by uh, living with the virus. Um, it's kind of a, an insane thing feeling like you have to go into a more intensive quarantine bubble when you're going to do any kind of traveling. And um, we are scientists have been fortunate enough to get two tours in over the last year or so. We did a European, pardon me, a UK tour back in November and did a West Coast tour back in February. And we had uh, not only a strict set of mandates to keep the, the band sort of like virus free during the tour, but in the week leading up to it, no bars, no restaurants, all this stuff. And that's kind of a bummer because you have to go into this sort of like hermetically sealed world where you're again, like, it feels like March 2020. It's all sort of like, it's definitely worth it because it feels so good to be performing out again. And it doesn't seem to be as big of a deal to perform more casual shows. Aaron and I had the opportunity to play together on uh, March 11th as a part of the big, uh, the new Colossus Festival in New York City. And it was sort of like 2019 all over again, you know, as in like a <laughs> whole bunch of bands coming in doing the really fast 15 minute changeover between equipment and getting to meet a whole bunch of musicians whose music you've never heard before. And it, it, that communal aspect that isn't quite there when you're on tour and in your little bubble was sort of back again. So I'm feeling great about it, you know, and it does feel a little bit like, um, you know, the pandemic if not over, is at least coming to a point where we can at least grapple with it and live with that virus, you know? It certainly is, yeah. And, you know, having the opportunity to see you perform at Elsewhere, it definitely felt like things were slowly returning back to normal. As, <laughs> <laughs> as much as I enjoyed the Instagram live streams and the content that put out, I mean, that was some really good stuff. There's nothing like seeing a live performance, which actually brings me to my next question. You mentioned just moments ago how you played the new Colossus Festival. How did that come together? What's the backstory behind that? Because that lineup was pretty damn good i mean i even saw that my friend kip berman previously the pains of being pure at heart played that as well as well mm. as a few other bands that i recognized what what was the story of you guys getting booked to perform that my uh pal leo uh canine has a record label called canine records 
in New York. And uh, kind of after, do uh, you remember that music festival CMJ? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, here, kind of after that fizzled out, uh, Leo and a couple of his partners got together and were like, let's be the new CMJ thing. And so it's a kind of a new thing, I think, in the last couple, several years. Uh, so the idea is, yeah, the new Colossus Festival is for bands uh, traveling through basically on their way to South by Southwest, stop through New York City and before they go to Austin. That was their idea for this. So there's, I think there's like three main dudes uh, who do it. One of them is the booking agent for pianos or the former booking agent for pianos. He might still do it. K9 Records guy. And so I, I knew Leo because he signed Chairlift in the early days and we've just maintained friendship. And uh, I ran into him because he was down the street from my apartment and he asked <laughs> if he wanted to play the thing. That's very awesome. I went to CMJ in... Oh, man, I want to say 2012. And I feel like there really isn't a festival like that. I guess SXSW would be a similar concept. But CMJ, just having the opportunity to perform in the most arbitrary spaces is really something that stood out to me about the festival. So did you feel like it had the similar spirit, the similar essence that CMJ previously had? And what was your experience in general performing that showcase? Uh, for me, I, it was the first show in a very long time. <laughs> you know, playing with Keith here. And yeah, I, I don't think I had played a show since 2018. Um, so it's been a while. <laughs> it felt CMJ-ish. <laughs> yeah the, with the no i thought we did all right with no soundtrack <laughs> yeah okay the telltale signs of it being a sort of like i like to call those sandwich board festivals because you know when you go down to the lower east side you're passing by arlene's grocery uh or like one of these sort of music venues that basically just has sandwich board outside with all these sort of like random names in hour long slots, you know, like sort of CMJ has that, has that, pardon me, uh, new Colossus had that, except there was obviously this sort of like taste filter put on it where the bands were selected and everything. And it had been a long time since I've played a show like that. One of these like hamster wheel shows where you get like 40 minutes to play your set five minutes to get your equipment off the bandstand and then you give the next act 15 minutes to change over the drum kit or go over the you know input list with the with the front of house engineer or whatever and it's funny because i used to curse shows like that even in venues that i loved like pete's candy store or you know i mean way back in the day like lit lounge or something like that but because of covid like I was mentioning before, it brought you back into this communal feeling of like, you know, talking with these other drummers like, oh, you know, I left the little symbol protector thing on because I saw the house kit didn't have it. And here you can use this and you can use that. And just like being in that sort of like professional mindset where you got to not only make creative choices, but make very like tight, you know, like considerate organizational choices where you don't make your like setup too complicated because you know you're not going to get a sound check. It, I found that to be like comforting after a two year absence because of COVID and then a longer absence from shows like that because of all the touring that I've done with scientists and stuff like that. Well, back some, some stuff from me. I had forgotten about that, all of that, like uh, trying to do something without a soundtrack. And what was semi-monumental, I'd say, James, for the show was we 
my writing collaborator was a part of the show as well. And it was the first show she's ever played. And so, I mean, I gave her like a little bit of a prep for it, but otherwise I just kind of let her be like this, is, dive into it. And uh, yeah, without the sound check, I thought she did pretty well, Keith, right? She did great. Millie did sounded fantastic. And, you know, this is hopefully something that we'll get into, but this, you know, I'm constantly sort of comforted by the sound of Aaron and Millie's voice together. And it's in that sort of like haunting blend of their voices that has this really charming, like rough, un, you know, sort of like unpolished edge to it that weirdly the environment of a sort of throw and go style show, I think complemented your voice as well. And it didn't allow us to like, of course, it's always a little bit better to have somewhat of a sound check, but it's also, if you don't have enough time to check really painstakingly, you start to get in your head. And so when you don't have a sound check, at least I feel this way, it affects the choices that you decide to make musically. Like for example, knowing that Aaron and Millie as the primary vocalists of the set didn't have a chance to fine tune their monitors makes me want to play softer on the drums so that they don't have to strive so hard to hear their own voices, you know? I love that. That's really beautiful, Keith. Your passion for drumming is so inspirational. And I'm not even a drummer, but it's just like, that's a great, great tip on that. Where did this relationship build from? And how did you two decide to come together for this performance? I want want to hear Keith's version. I had the great pleasure of, like you, James, also meeting Aaron through the We Are Scientists cats. And, you know, just whether it was like, you know, through like sinking pints at the Abbey or Iona or some bar in Williamsburg or Manhattan Inn, frankly. We just got to hanging not long after I started playing with the band in 2013. And, you know, he'd come out to shows that we were at and he was kind enough to share some of his own, his solo music with me. And I don't, it was a very organic collaboration and then the decision to collaborate as well like it's not so much a decision just as like wanting to help be a conduit like i love more than anything helping my friends to see their their creative visions realized and aaron would have been able to do that without me there's no doubt about that but um you know when 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 you can sort of help your friends make creative music choices it's like that's the reward for me for like playing music and so he just shared some really lovely songs that he had written and i maybe sent him a couple suggestions that he liked or something like that i I can't even remember at this point because it was so long ago but it was just a very natural process and then we got an opportunity to play a show at our friend scott's venue alphaville and it was the first time that we sort of like formally sat in a room together and like worked through the tunes and i guess i just said a couple things that aaron liked and gave him the space to sing uh he's got such a beautiful voice that like the biggest thing as a drummer is i think not getting in the way of it i guess i just said the right things and he wanted to he was goodly enough to continue working with me that's awesome <laughs> <laughs> that's quite a story. <laughs> oh man, that's uh, those are some lovely words. Uh, yeah, I, I uh, Keith's been my favorite favorite drummer to work with because uh, his he's got like a, such a just a natural songwriting instinct, and he's not afraid to jump in and give his thoughts on anything that's going on with the song. So yeah, you just you make me comfortable, dude. <laughs> well, you make me feel comfortable, Aaron. Thank you. 
love fest over here. Your songs make me feel all cozy. <laughs> this is great. What has practice looked like for you guys? You know, you mentioned you played your friend Scott's space previously. I didn't realize that you performed together prior to this festival that you recently performed. Uh, Alphaville, and that was a while ago. I think that was 2017. Yeah, it was, I think, November 19th, 2017, something like that. Right. <laughs> Love that. Can we expect any upcoming releases uh, from you two together with this project? Uh, well, so I'm working on what originally started as a, was going to be an Aaron Finning solo record. And then I, you know, I started collaborating with Millie. And so it's not just Aaron anymore. And I think what we're putting together now is hopefully something that Keith will approve of and be able to get his little pause in <laughs> uh, try and record it pretty quickly this summer um so yeah it could be i don't know a revival of rewards i don't know but it's not going to be just aaron gotcha okay is there any band names how many songs are you thinking what type of details can you give us on this um not too many but yeah like i said like maybe uh rewards revive rebrand the name rewards just because it's uh it's always been a vehicle of collaboration for me and uh but but yeah Millie and I have a we got a notes we got a list of notes for band names but I don't know if, how good of an idea it would be to start a brand new also we can't find a band name that doesn't exist <laughs> yeah yeah that's true yeah I I believe that and didn't rewards open up for Brandon Flowers at one point too oh yeah 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 so, I mean, you know, there's probably some fans out there that would love to see the moniker rewards pop up in uh, their music feed again. I, th- I think people would be pretty stoked on that. Someone, someone at a, a pizza place in Greenpoint the other day brought it up. It was just like, are you going to do a, another rewards thing? I was like, I was not expecting that from the pizza guy. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Holly G, recognizing you, huh, Aaron? <laughs> does that ever happen with you too keith the scientist oh getting recognized oh yeah. man i have the uh the the privilege of anonymity mostly because of my position on the bandstand <laughs> yeah. um i did somebody did like recognize me once when i was getting off the l train and like carting a massive like granny grocery cart of books <laughs> over to the strand to try to sell them and that was really helpful because then they helped me up the uh, up the stairs like with the books but um i mean people will recognize me outside of a we are scientists show when i'm going to get a cocktail or something sure. um, yeah but in the wild it's only happened once or twice and i did feel pretty cool when it happened that's awesome i, love that. <laughs> I won't try to to be uh too cool to admit that very nice very nice what's been your guys favorite track to perform together as a band and why aaron while you think on this i'll say that my favorite thing to perform is a song called touchstones which i think maybe had a different name when it was in a slightly different um incarnation it was called called like used to know yeah Yeah. Yeah, but then uh, I realized that, you know, James Murphy stole the name from me uh, (laughs) on his new record, so I can't use that title anymore. The Touchstones, yeah. I like that one, and I like it a lot because it's uh, really grooving while also uh, incorporating lots of space. And it's sort of like, it sort of just gives Aaron 
a lot of room vocally and it's grooving and sort of genre blending in a way that I always really love when I'm playing drums. I try to contribute that element of mixing certain genres in. And uh, the song just kind of feels to me like it has a really nice soft pad to kind of like land on. But at the same time, it's danceable and it's, uh, it, it's, it's really beautiful and sincere lyrically. I agree. Yeah. That's the track I used to know. That is what it used to be called. <laughs> I I remember that track. I remember when that came out. I was yeah. uh I was like low key kind of obsessed with that one. <laughs> <laughs> that and um is the other one called Two Cardinals, Aaron? Mm-hmm. That is one. Yeah. That we yeah. play, we have played together before. I remember those. Yeah. Okay. So you guys are performing together, and it sounds like your sounds are meshing well. It seems like you guys are so far a really good fit, which makes me wonder: Do you share similar influences as well? I know Keith, you recently did something with William Goldsmith of Sunny Day Real Estate, so I'm sure that influence has to be in there somewhere, right? Man, it's I can't shake the William Goldsmith influence. Um, he and I have had the great fortune of becoming friends because I I did a piece, like an analysis piece on some of his playing for Modern Drummer. I used to write for Modern Drummer. And uh, yeah, he's just, he's a huge influence. And it's really funny because I, regardless of the project that I'm in, I, I can't not hear his influence in my playing. I don't think that I'll ever shake the Sunny Day Real Estate influence, though they're not necessarily my sort of go-to band anymore. <laughs> yeah. No offense, uh, yeah. William, in case you're listening to this. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. In terms of like shared influences that tend to play a part in the way that that I play with Aaron. I mean, I'll harp on this again. The biggest thing is is making sure that the drums never dominate the conversation and that they provide a supportive enough role to make Aaron and now Millie comfortable enough to express themselves vocally because, I mean, if you've ever heard Aaron's voice, I mean, that is the sound, I think, of an Aaron Fenning song, regardless of the, uh, you know, the project name. It's a thing that I think many people would sort of first and foremost respond to. And so I think any kind of music that incorporates like lively drums that are at a soft enough volume so to, to, to not dominate the music. I mean, that's a huge aspect of, of uh, essentially the, the influences that, that inform the way that I tend to play with Aaron. For sure. Uh, man, you have, you have a way of saying such lovely things. <laughs> it's just what I feel, man. <laughs> Is there an album or band that you guys particularly nerd out on maybe during your downtime or during practice that could be a potential influence on you guys? Not for me. I, every, I think, well, when Keith and I work together, we don't, it's, we're just not, I don't think we ever listen to anything else. I just in the last week started listening to old granddaddy records. <laughs> nice. I don't know what happened because I was super into them back in like 2004 and just started listening to their records again and pretty obsessed once again. <laughs> Good stuff. So you guys have had quite a timeline of different chapters within your music careers. I mean, there's definitely been some similarities, but there's definitely been some contrast as well. Keith, you started with We Are Scientists in 2013. And I remember when you were starting off, 
I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but you had like shorter hair, yeah. uh, you know, a little, a little bit more scruff on the beard, kind of the bandana and everything like that. Obviously, like you have some physical changes, but there, there's been an evolution within you as a person and within your style. And then same to you, Aaron, at least from what I know of, you know, starting with chairlift in 2005 and then making your way in, I guess, what would it have been, 2010, 11, 12, kind of doing the re- rewards project and touring with um, Blood Orange and stuff like that. And now here in modern time, you guys are coming together. It feels full circle in a lot of ways. But my question is, what are some of the major changes do you see within your early careers dating back to some of the times that I just mentioned to where you both are respectfully now? Well, you know, it's funny, playing with a band like We Are Scientists, I definitely used to feel like more, I think that I used to have more of an anxious sound in my playing. And it's it's really funny, when I'm not on tour, I work as a drum teacher here in, uh, in Manhattan. And it's funny because for a long time, I sort of wasn't heeding my own advice about relaxation. So I'd say in a, in a big picture, I just tend to feel more relaxed on larger stages now partially that's just from the experience of having played on them you know for the last nine years most of the playing that i was doing before scientists it was the you know gig treadmill union pool like all these places around new york city you know like smaller venues but playing these larger stages and larger festivals and things like that with scientists have allowed me to sort of relax a little bit more both in terms of like my responsibilities on the bandstand, but also just the way that I express information rhythmically. Like I'm able to harp more on jazz and kind of ambient influences, which are really the things that I listen to most in a day-to-day environment. I'm mostly listening to jazz music or experimental music or, um, you know, like, frankly, like drumless ambient music, really wow. patient music. That's, that, that's, that's the stuff that I like the best. Other than that, though, I just tend to be able to, like, essentially listen more while I'm playing, which is such a musician cliche, because musicians are always talking about, like, oh, brother, you know, I'm, I'm able to listen more, you know, listening. listening is how you play better or whatever, you know. Those are the biggest things, and and that also comes from just like when you're playing a big show or you're doing your own recordings, being more informed about how to sound check, like how to listen, like how to ask the you know the front of house engineer or the monitor engineer, like I need this stuff to be able to like hear clearly on a big bandstand. So sure, okay, that that was a great answer. How about you, Aaron? <laughs> I can't beat that answer. <laughs> hey brother you made me go first <laughs> what, was, what was the question what would you say are some of the things that you notice within yourself your you know your career in music and uh your creativity between you know your time from chairlift to rewards maybe 2010 11 12 to modern time now biggest things like like do you feel that your lyrics have changed have you shifted in a more different state a different focus in the way you write songs what would you say is kind of your overall outlook within the evolution of you as a musician in general any changes that you may have noticed Mm, well i took a very long break for a while (laughs) to go spend some time in colorado 
uh, with my family because I did get very wrapped up in uh, playing shows. And even after chairlift, I, you know, I went on some pretty large tours and I got really comfortable playing in front of very big audiences. And for me that I was say, I think Keith mentioned this too. Like it's, it's for me, it's way more comfortable playing in front of a lot of people than like small union union pool shows <laughs> because yeah. you know everybody in the audience but, yeah <laughs> everyone and everyone can see your every every move uh, uh so yeah i think around like when i met re-met you again james in denver i was taking a break hanging out with my family getting to know my nieces reconnecting yeah. reconnecting with uh people and kind of reevaluating the way that i the way that i write and what i do and how i work with people and just what music, uh, what it all meant to me, really. So yeah, I just needed to go through a phase of stepping away before I could come back to it again. Yeah, I, I love that so much. I mean, you having the opportunity to hang out with your nieces was always a treat to see on your Instagram stories. I will I'll say. second that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And your dog too. This the cutest dog ever. <laughs> Yeah, man, it was really like a recharging experience. Just like a, a I'm glad I did it because I could have stayed in New York and uh, grind, you know, just grind away and kept doing something. I probably would have released a solo record by now had I done that. But I don't think it would be as good as or even, you know, like a rewards record now. Like, I think it's all going to be a lot more informed and deep and rich now that I've been able to, like, explore um, some more like uh, of my family family time. That's really cool. And, you know, that actually leads me perfectly to my next question. What does your friends and family think of your music now? Well, my nieces love me. (laughs) I love it. And uh, that was another thing was I didn't want to be stuck being like a FaceTime uncle. You know, I wanted to be like a real time uncle and I wanted them to get to know me and be and so yeah they know me now is uncle a yes my my three-year-old niece facetimed me on her own the other day she stole my mom's phone and facetimed me that's so adorable just lights up my life (laughs) oh keith it seems that your family are like the world's most supportive dad (laughs) oh god what i can see you know I am so blessed to have the most supportive parents um, and really a whole exi- like family structure, frankly, that ex- that includes aunts, uncles, and cousins. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, part of it is because I come from this sort of like only child background. I don't have any brothers or sisters. Oh, okay. And so the focus, and I have a very, pretty small family, so the focus has always been kind of on me and my other cousin who's similar age to me. But also my parents are really cool uh like in that they were taking me they took me to shows middle school and high school and would drop me off or they'd come to shows or whatever and they like knew about these bands that were like kind of like local heroes that other parents didn't know about and so they they were a sort of model of support and tolerance which frankly in 2022 is an experience i'm so so grateful that they that they set me up with you know that's awesome. And are are you guys based from Wisconsin or New Jersey? I, I can't remember. My family is based in New Jersey, but uh, I give off the the Wisconsin yeah. vibe because <laughs> uh, because of my beloved Green Bay Packers. 
And I, I mean, you, know. you even look like their poster boy in a way. Oh, boy. <laughs> Except I'm vaccinated. That's yeah. yeah, that's and right. Boosted. Yeah, that's right. Aaron, you have a very interesting backstory. I've heard it before, but I need to hear it again, especially for everyone listening in at WKCR. The way that you broke into the New York City music scene and the ups and downs and everything in between is one of the most like it, it feels very compelling and captivating in a lot of ways no pressure but from some of the stories that you've told me i think with just the craigslist and being out in connecticut and making your way back to new york it just seemed like a lot especially coming from you know colorado it's definitely a different environment do you mind maybe sharing a little bit about that story of you originally coming to new york and what that experience was like what were some of the challenges and what were some of the fond memories well we uh, moved here in 2006 and wasn't entirely planning on uh music as something but it was still something that i thought i could do these were in the myspace days by the way oh wow okay so my partner at the time was actually in school and i would spend all day uh on myspace basically um like messaging people and just like changing our myspace around and john mouse was one of the first people i ever messaged he never wrote back until a year later uh a year later john mouse wrote back (laughs) and uh then we got into a conversation and uh became pals but the craigslist story you're talking about is when we first were looking for uh roommates for our rehearsal space i put an ad on craigslist and um, Andrew from MGMT uh, was the first person to respond. <laughs> and I didn't know who he was or who they are, but they came over and they looked at the space and they were like, yeah, we're just, uh, you know, we might, I don't know. We kind of just, we might sign to this label, Columbia. Um, we're not sure yet, uh, but we need a space to put our guitar. Anyway, they, uh, they shared the space with us but they never moved in. They never used it or <laughs> used it at all, but they paid their rent. <laughs> Amazing. And, um, and they signed to Columbia and kind of were like the first friends that I made in New York was through Craigslist. That's awesome. You know, I made some friends and dates through Craigslist misconnections during the pandemic. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, that Craigslist is a underrated tool in my opinion, but you know, it's really exciting for me to hear that story because I feel like during that time, that was when a lot of artists were really making big waves like a lot of people were hearing about some of these bands for the first time like chairlift and mgmt maybe neon indian franz ferdinand we are scientists of course so many artists and it must have been a really exciting time to be a part of that scene back then i'm sure it felt really organic a very exciting life do you feel that is still embodied in some of the modern stuff of what's coming out of New York as well? I'm not sure. I guess I feel a little detached from it now just because I've spent so much time away and came back. But yeah, but definitely it feels, it just feels like a certain, um, you know, the late 2000s, whatever, 2007 through 2010, you know, like towards the end of the decade, definitely had a feel to it. And I don't know what that feeling is, 
but it's just like looking back on any relationship really like you feel something and sometimes it's hard to pinpoint the words of it of what it feels like but it felt it definitely felt like something you know and there's a lot of camaraderie to me and i ran it oh i ran into anand from yesayer oh yeah a couple days ago he just released a solo record um you know yesayer is not a band anymore but they were one of my favorites and one of our friends and we toured with them yeah i always felt a a really strong connection with you know like yesayer that's cool and so running into anand was great because you know he has a family here and is kind of has the same uh backstory as me i guess in a way not not exactly but you know the idea the thought of you just being on myspace all day messaging bands and record labels and stuff like that that's a real hustle i mean that's like a real thing it sounds dumb to me (laughs) (laughs) that's how i got this radio gig you know when i was living in new york city last summer i spent all my time while my girlfriend was at the hospital working i spent all my time just online reaching out to publications and radio stations so like i i can kind of understand that i love the hustle there it's just it's really cool i mean it seems a little silly but it worked you made a lot of cool friends you played a lot of cool shows but also man i was you know i was 22 years old at the time i had a lot of extra energy and (laughs) just you know being in new york city for the first time also and i was like i gotta do something (laughs) (laughs) besides performing music as like your primary objective or has been at least do you have any other aspirations you or keith outside of music i know keith does i I mean largely my like goals in life are oriented around music other than obviously being a good husband and a good son and a good friend and just a good person you know i've always wanted to score a film i've always i mean which i've had the opportunity of working on you know like commercial music projects and you know i've even worked on short films but i'd like i think i could do a much better job of it but largely my like career goals are oriented around music i started moonlighting as a uh one day a week bartender over the pandemic mm. because touring had just completely dried up. And so it, for the last two years, I've been really obsessed with like the kind of craft element of bartending and going to different, you know, like establishments safely during COVID, of course, as safely as you possibly can. Sure. Uh, and just trying to observe how different restaurant operations are run um that's something that i really really love and then i also just i i I work as a writer often in like complementary fields so as i mentioned earlier like i worked as a like a pretty frequent contributor to modern drummer magazine and i've contributed stuff to the talk house and you know just stuff like that but a lot of that overlaps with music experience and people want me to write about something because of my background in music not necessarily because of because uh you know i'm trying to be a writer you know the old maxim write what you know well i tend to know music and drum related stuff pretty well and one of my jobs is to communicate that stuff so i just put it in writing i can definitely appreciate that we talked a little bit about both of your history and the support from your family and so forth what have been some of the challenges what did it kind of look like for both of you individually moving to new york having part-time jobs or like what type of work were you guys involved with before music really started kicking off hustling through new york my first 
jobs. I had two jobs when I moved to New York. I was I worked at Matador Records. Oh, okay. Uh, and I also um, had a radio show on this show called Breakthrough Radio or um, Internet Radio Station. Uh, wow, right. cool. BPR, yeah. if you know it, James. Um, I don't actually. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Well, I started I started a show on there called The Stratosphere, and uh, I did that for a couple hundred dollars a week. And <laughs> yeah. um, I did that and Matador and um, it got to a point where uh, finally all my work on MySpace paid off and uh, we got we got a tour. And so I was I quit those jobs and went on tour with Chairlift and uh, haven't really had a job since then. Who was the band that you were touring with? The, the first band? Um, oh, the first Chair, band who, and we toured with was Ariel Pink. Wow. How about you, Keith? What were some of the early days looking like for you coming to New York? Uh, when I first moved to New York, I had the good fortune of, you know, having family set up in New Jersey. So I had a whole roster of drum students in New Jersey and was like substitute teaching at different high schools and was able to essentially do that work two really long days, you know, drive back to Jersey at like five in the morning wow. and stay overnight at my folks place for one night and basically just cram a ton of work in. And then, you know, went and drive back to New York late Tuesday night and would just look for music studios that needed drum teachers. And I ultimately found one uh, where I still work. It's in Midtown. And I, I so I did that. I taught a music class oriented toward toddlers called toddler tom-toms <laughs> I, I did that two days a week i had a job working as a um uh what, what was the title it was like a, a an associate producer or something like that for wnyc for this uh this show called the leonard lopate show and i was doing that working toddler tom-toms getting hired out to do all these different sort of like music projects i worked with a band for a while worked with any band that would be goodly enough to have me sure. and taught drum lessons at this music studio where I still run the practice and teach. And then when I got essentially the call from We Are Scientists that they were looking for a drummer and that I came recommended from a friend of a friend, I had also gotten a job in radio as an, like a producer and had choose, well, was I going to take this seven month assignment as a producer on this show? Where was I going to go on a three week tour with scientists? And I ultimately chose to do the scientist uh. tour. <laughs> and it, I think, is the first time in the history of rock and roll or radio that choosing to do the three week tour turned out to be the good <laughs> yeah. long term career yeah. move because yeah. we are scientists are still around. Leonard Lopate show is, is not. <laughs> wow. What station was that with? Uh, 93.9 uh, WNYC. Damn. What a story from both of you guys. Wow. <laughs> That's incredible. Thank you so much for sharing that with me. Yeah. That's so inspiring, too. Honestly, just hearing that, I'm like, maybe there's still one day for me. You know, <laughs> you know one of the things I want to say, too, on that note really quickly, when I would write for Modern Drummer a lot, one of the things that I would like to ask all the interview subjects were, what else do you do for money? Are there other things that you do? And I think that the idea of making money solely through music is um, it's it's a romanticized and overblown concept. Two of the greatest musicians that I know around New York City are endlessly inspiring to me. 
the musicians whom I love working with, and neither of them does music as their income-earning job. And I think that when you are in a city with infrastructure to support musicians, you don't have to do it for a living as long as you have the discipline to put your nose to the grindstone and actually get out there and book shows and you know promote and stuff like that. And sometimes it can even be a more freeing experience to, you know, work in a bar or a coffee shop three days a week and then spend the other three days that you're working, working on your own stuff. And because there's no pressure for you to make money from that thing, you can make whatever creative choices you choose, you'd like to make, you know? Sure. Wow. Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, That was so well said, Keith. Thank you for saying that. That That was something I've been thinking about recently. And you just translated it perfectly. It's huge. It's important. I don't think that there should be any um, like embarrassment about that. Like I love the fact that that I work in a bar, you know, most of my income comes through music, but like, you know, I don't have any embarrassment about, about saying that because frankly, it's just really nice to sort of refresh your, you know, your thought process and to take a day completely away from music or whatever. Or frankly, like I have a great fortune of being in a place that, that, lets us play really progressive music. So I'm constantly learning about bands while I'm at this thing, in addition to learning a new skill set. And then when you're in a venue and you're dealing with the bartenders when you're on tour or whatever, you get treated so much better because you know how to ask for things from bartenders. You know how to interact with them? Exactly. Yeah. And it does. It does. It, it's it, it's nice to take a couple of days off from music and and yeah, learn new skills and do these things. I, wor- I work a lot in food also, James, with doing some uh, cooking here and there. Um, so same with Keith as bartending. I moonlight a little bit and it brings a new it brings a different like sort of joy to my life, actually, and like a refreshing uh, perspective that overall uh, informs my songwriting and makes it better. Wow. Thank you. I mean, honestly, thank you for sharing that. That's really cool. Yeah. Just hearing the perspective of how to, I guess, financially sustain and yet be able to live another life outside of music and outside of the industry that you've been involved with for so long. It seems almost meditative in some ways because it allows kind of what you guys have been saying for some creative freedom and allows you to step back and kind of analyze and evaluate on new, maybe new pieces of your life that you haven't really experimented with as much. I appreciate it. And another big thing that, that, that Keith said too is like, it's, I'm really focused as well on being a good son, being a good uncle, being a good, just being a good person. And yeah, most of my work is still in music, but there are some other things revolved around that. And family is a big thing for me now as well. And Keith is a, one of the most wonderful husbands I've had. <laughs> I, I got to go to his wedding last summer. It was amazing. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for coming. Was it in New Jersey? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. No, it was in the bar where I work, actually. <laughs> oh. oh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> it was beautiful. My mo- and uh, my wife uh, makes it easy to be a good husband. These are her uh, paintings, by the way. Oh, very nice. Very lovely. I like that. So I'm going to say a word or a phrase, and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. And we'll do it back and forth. So we'll do Aaron first, Keith, Aaron, Keith. Great. First thing that comes to mind, Aaron, Keith Murray. Fuzzy. First thing that comes to mind, Keith, 
Hands? Great, Grateful Dead song. Oh, uh, uh, China Cat Sunflower. <laughs> Aaron, first thing that comes to mind, tour snack. Acai bowl. Ooh. <laughs> Damn, what kind of tour is you doing, Aaron? I want to go <laughs> Keith, first thing that comes to mind, Aaron Rodgers. Ah, oh, handsome. <laughs> That's how he makes those incredible throws. His hand suddenly yeah, just sort of washes over the uh, you know the pass rusher. Uh, man. Another thing, another thing that Keith and I have bonded over is I'm not like a huge football fan, but I do love paying attention to people who love paying attention to things. Like, <laughs> like I know that Keith is a fan of the Packers and Aaron Rodgers, so whenever. I would see, I was still in Colorado and I had not yet moved back to New York. So whenever I would see the Packers playing, I would text Keith and be like, hey, what's going on? with?" Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and That's then he so would get awesome. these long, rambling, punishing, sort of existentially drained responses from me like, oh, God. If yeah. only this <laughs> That's so true. Yeah. Oh, so, man. So we've kept in touch, even though, uh, you know, we've, we've been away for a little bit. That's lovely. I'm very excited for Russell Wilson and the Broncos, and I'm a huge TB fan. But we can get to the next question. Aaron, first thing that comes to mind, Colorado. Um, uh, yeah, I got to do whew, silliness. Silliness, nice. As, as I feel so silly when I'm there with my nieces now, and it's a good feeling. It's a good silliness. Love that. Keith, first thing that comes to mind, New York venue. Uh, Troost, which is really just a bar, but it's where <laughs> I play a ton. Wait, are you serious? Like the Troost right next door to me? Yeah. What? Yeah. You play there a ton? I'm playing there on May 2nd, brother. Are you kidding me? All right, write that down right now. Who are you playing with, Keith? I'm playing with uh, one of my best friends who is a pro. Uh, uh, his name is Justin Gainer. His name is Bestimo. And our project is called Keith and Bestimo. We're actually releasing an album. Uh, it comes out later this week. And we'll put it. uh, it's like a sort of jazz guitar. It's it's just drums and guitar, but it's like ambient jazz rock kind of stuff. Cool. Yeah. Send it to me. I'll, we'll put it in the show notes. I would, I would love that, actually. Amazing. Okay. Two more, guys. Woo. Aaron, first thing that comes to mind, Earwig Town. Uh, the best song on that record. Okay. Yeah. Wait, was I supposed to say one word? No, that's fine. No, 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 that works. I, I prefer that was actually preferred. I thought you said a sentence. Yeah, I love that. All right, guys. First thing that comes to mind, both of you, Dev Hines, expressive dancer, uh, skilled ping pong player. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. All right. This question goes to both of you. So now we're back into the normal questions. What's the most unique place you've ever performed? Boat, helicopter, courthouse, retail store, you name it. Most unique place you've ever performed. You have something, Aaron? You had something? I, I, I mean, so I think we've all probably done shows on boats, but... Uh, <laughs> we all have done shows on boats. We probably have. Uh, and that's always a fun thing, you know, fighting seasickness. Uh but I had the opportunity to play with both um, uh, the band Beverly mm. and We Are Scientists. Oh, 
I was on tour with the both of them. What a dream. And, and we played on November 4th, 2016. <laughs> it was at a li- – maybe it was November 5th. It was at a library, like a legit library in this English town called Barrow in Furness. And like literally they had rolled the bookcases away from the center of the room. And it was the coolest thing. Our green room was like the staff like employee like lounge <laughs> at the library uh and it was like the sweetest most like like cool uh really like beautiful like communal uh event space i love that that's freaking amazing how about you aaron oof i'm gonna think of something later that's better but uh you know reese i guess i would say abbey road the abbey road studios just because I was, I've actually never been really a Beatles fan until recently. Oh, like maybe like a year ago, I got into the Beatles, and I don't know if that's good or embarrassing. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think what's great about it being unique is that, like, I didn't really care that I was in Abbey Road Studios at the time when wow. we we played it, and like I had no connection to it or no real understanding of what i was doing there uh so looking back on it now and being a beatles fan i was like oh that was pretty special and unique that i did that was that with chairlift um yeah wow yeah so does that mean that you were a neil young fan i I usually find that people that aren't generally beatles fans are neil young fans i don't know why but i've heard this story a couple of times oh i am I always have been. Okay. Okay. I don't know. For some reason. Yeah. I don't know. What, yeah. I, whatever someone tells you. Know, you didn't do the Beatles, you know? Uh, yeah. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, guys, what is the criminally most underrated album of all time? Whoa. Whoa. It's horrible how underrated it is. Why? <sighs> I would say the uh, uh, granddaddy album uh, called Just Like the Family Cat. All right. Very underrated. Yeah, that'd be mine. It's such a difficult question to ask because especially when you toil in, I mean, we're talking right now on KCR. So Mm -hmm. we definitely toil in the underappreciated, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The first thing that comes to mind, though, is the guitarist uh, Sonny Sharak or Sonny Sharak. I'm not even sure what the pronunciation, correct pronunciation of, of their name is. But he has this record called Ask the Ages from like 1992, and it features these unbelievable jazz musicians. And Sonny Sharrock was this sort of psych jazz guitarist who was never, never really found footing in the sort of jazz mainstream, despite having released records all throughout the late 60s and 70s. And he finally put this record together where he got Elvin Jones, the drummer famous for playing with John Coltrane and Wayne Shorter, to play on this record. And it's just an absolutely transcendent, beautifully expressive album. 1992, Ask the Ages, Sonny Shaw. Okay. All right. I'll check out both of those. Thank you for sharing. Same. Thanks, Keith. Name a band or artist that you believe is the best live show you've ever seen. Ooh. Currently just because I just experienced it was when I, when I was on stage playing with Keith, I turned around at one point and I slightly grazed his symbol and I took a look at him and he gave me this smile. And I was like, this is the greatest man drummer. And 
that I've ever been a part of. Oh, Aaron. Oh, uh, that's so sweet. <laughs> that's really sweet. I really, I really did feel that in the moment. I couldn't, I couldn't express it at the time. Well, thank goodness you were singing. Yeah. <laughs> no? Yeah. Keith, how about you? Oh, no. My answer is going to seem so, like, basic by comparison. Well, Aaron, just know that I remember that moment. And it was very, it was very easy to be present during our show, which is something that I find it can be difficult from time to time. And again, hearing your voice and especially the blend of yours and Millie's voices together make it very easy to feel present and just listen. One of the, I'll just give a contrasting answer to keep things interesting. I had the opportunity, I don't know if it was the best show I've ever seen, but it was some of the greatest sound I've ever heard at a live show. And that was, uh, we are scientists went with our booking agent to go see Tame Impala at Barclays Center. Oh, wow. About okay. three weeks ago. And that was, it was a pretty mind blowing experience because we were in such a massive venue and their drum sounds were so unbelievable. It sounded like I was like lying on my living room floor. That sounds really fun. I'm sure that was good. It was really cool. If you could have any musician past or present cover a song of yours, which musician would it be and what song would it be? That is, I uh, prefer to anchor myself in the present, James. So I'm going to go with all present answers. Although that's a good, that's a fun, imaginative question. I would love to hear Keith cover two Cardinals on his own. It's oh, a wow. Yeah. Um, I was just like to see what he does with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having never released any uh, music under my own name, I don't really know how to answer. It could be a We Are Scientists song, Keith, if you like. Uh, sure. Then I want to hear the uh, the the slow dream pop Aaron Fenning version of After Hours. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to hear that too. That would be freaking sweet. It would probably be able to, you'd be able to use it like in a movie trailer, you know, like the way how movie trailers today just basically take contemporary pop songs and slow them down. Oh yeah. Yeah. I could imagine that, you know, fenning laser focus, finally <laughs> getting me to understand what like, like elements of lyrics that I'd never thought about before. <laughs> I love that. Nick and Nora's infinite playlist part two. There you See, go. There you go. Who is someone that you've opened for or a festival that you played that absolutely blew you away that you're like, how am I here? How is this even possible? What did I do to get to this point of my career? Uh, for me, it was Phoenix when we, we went on tour with Phoenix. Yeah. Uh, as chairlift again. Wow. Um, this is like 2009. Once again, uh, sorry to go back too far in history. No, is that, okay. that too far? You know, All good. No, I love it. I love it. Yeah. So like 11 years ago or whatever. Yeah. But that was like the first time really I was standing side stage every night watching a band that, that I really admired and they work so hard and um, just watching them nail it yeah. every night. So good. Um, I, I was, I just uh, kind of brought me, I, you know, close to tears every night. I was like, why am I here? What am I doing? <laughs> what am I doing right? What am I doing wrong? But watching their production and the way that they interact with each other and with their entire team and crew 
and the way that they toured, the way that they treated us as a band was not something I expected. And it all kind of just came together as this um, like epiphany of, wow, uh, you can be a really popular act touring band. And also, you know, they just, the way they treated everyone was, was uh, inspiring to me. That's and awesome. then their, their show, you know, one of the best live shows I've ever seen. Going back to the other question. Yeah. Probably Phoenix is one of the best live shows I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. I saw them at Red Rocks one time. They were really good. I always imagined Thomas would be really nice. I always imagined he'd be a friendly person. <laughs> he seems like very genuine. Keith, how about you? We are scientists have uh, been able to open for Queens of the Stone Age. A few oh, times. yeah. And seeing that, like, you know, I don't tend to listen to a lot of like contemporary, like rock music, but they were just so tight and so powerful. And the fact that they were using basically all analog instruments, you know, they weren't using, you know, main stage and a bunch of MIDI keyboard sounds. They actually wheeled the Rhodes pianos out and stuff like that. And like, we're using tube driven amps and stuff like that. That was one of the most remarkable live shows. I've had the, you know, privilege of standing side stage and then being out front to watch. And they were just they were a great hang and a great, just to put on an unbelievable show. And it was tremendously inspiring. What year was that, by the way? That was in 2014. Nice. We played with them in Portugal and then in Italy. So fun. So cool. Keith, what's the status of Communipol, Brian Bond, We Are Scientists? Any updates that we can on any of your projects, your project with Aaron? What do we got? What's going on? What can we expect? What can we promote? What can we talk about? Well, most uh, immediately, Aaron and I are going to be in the studio, hopefully in May and June, putting some drums to some of the new cuts. Open to have that released by, I don't know what, like fall, Aaron, you think? Yeah. Uh, Communipod just released an album. It's called Milkman. Um, and it's a collaboration, you know, with our lead singer, Brian Bond. That's on Spotify. You can listen to that. Uh, and we're also pretty much as always working really hard and consistently on new, on a new album. We're going to have a new album out probably in the fall, I would say. I am putting this album out called Keith and Bestimo. That's an ambient kind of psych jazz record with my, my best friends, Bestimo, uh, and that's going to be on all streaming platforms in, I think, a week. But yeah, just constantly keeping my head down and my nose to the grindstone and just producing, producing, producing constantly, you know? Love that. And Aaron, last two minutes here. Anything that we can expect from you? It's so exciting to hear that the moniker rewards could be coming back. I think I'm like overjoyed with happiness for that one. I always really like that name in general. Any news on Aaron Penning? Anything that we can just share in these last two minutes? Is it ever possible of a reunion with Patrick? What what can we share with Aaron? Well, what Keith just said, you know, we're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna do uh, wrap up some drums. And some stuff this summer. I'm thrilled to be working with my uh, collaborator, partner, uh, Millie, and doing this. So, yeah, dude, it's definitely possible that rewards will happen. Love that. And that's, that's probably what will happen. Yay. That's exciting. Uh, so, maybe fall 2022, possibly, we could look out for something. That's totally what we're shooting for. So, yeah. A tour, maybe? Question mark. Oh, absolutely. Uh, we're going to play some shows this summer, only in New York City. Okay. And last and final question. I have a minute left. Uh, who should I have on my show next? 
I'd go with Keith's recommendation. My buddy's playing a really great uh, psych surf bossa nova band called Anav Espacial. They're coming out with a new record soon, and they play all over Brooklyn and trying to pioneer, along with Keith and Bestimo, the project uh, Lounge Music, which cool. is music that can rip if you want to pay attention to it, or you can just have it be the soundtrack at your bar. Love it. Thank you guys so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Thank you, James. Appreciate you, dude. Thank you to everyone that tuned in. If you have any questions, feedback, or recommendations of who I should have on my show next, reach out to me on Instagram at James Richard Lane or Twitter, James Lane, Lane with two E's. Have a great week. And as always, please support your local animal shelter. Goodbye.